good morning. Man, uh, we're going to fin- uh, do the ninth commandment. We're going to work on the ninth commandment this morning in Exodus 20:16. Uh, a place that I want to take you in just a moment, though. Uh, the the ninth commandment is simple enough. It's that you shall not bear false witness, um, and it really refers to lies. And we're going to look at that this morning uh, because we know we have an enemy that is the author of lies, the father of lies, the great deceiver, the accuser of the brethren, the one who is against us at all times. In fact, it it makes Satan very angry that we're able to gather this morning and that we are doing what we're doing, which is worshiping the Lord. Now, Satan doesn't care if we just come in and do a religious service. Satan doesn't care if we just come in and sit around and, and our thoughts are about something else and we never focus on the Lord, there's never conviction from the Holy Spirit. I don't think Satan cares about those things. But I do know that Satan is infuriated when our hearts are turned over and we worship the Lord in spirit and in truth and we're really here for God. We're here to worship and meet with God. And those things don't always naturally happen just because we've come to church. And so it's an intentional focus that we focus, that we sing, that we mean the words we sing, that we hear the word, that we allow the spirit to apply it to our hearts, and then we walk out of here changed so that we live differently throughout the week. And so what we're going to look at, uh, Exodus twenty sixteen, which just, again, simply says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. I want to look at a story about Naboth, Ahab, and Jezebel, which is found in 1 Kings 21. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, I don't have that scripture on the screen. Uh, there's, uh, there's several verses to it. But I, I would like for you to, to flip over to 1 Kings 21. And we're going to see the story, and you probably know the story, that a- King Ahab, who was a very evil king, um, but he was also uh, a coward, um, was married to a very evil queen, and her name was Jezebel. And she wasn't so much a coward. She was just uh, a bad lady, all right? Uh, <laughs> put it nicely. Uh, I want to tell you as we're looking at this that this idea of telling lies, of, of bearing false witness, of deceiving people, of coveting, um, obviously it's not a new issue, even though I think we're bombarded by it today if you watch television or read uh, mass print. But uh, you go back several years, and there was a very demonic man, a man who I believe was very uh, demonic in possession and, and the way he lived, and his name was Adolf Hitler. And in 1925, Adolf Hitler wrote uh, a book called Mein Kampf, and it is where he began what he called the big lie, the Colossus lie, where he was turning the Germans against the Jews. They needed a scapegoat. And um, because World War I was such a colossal failure for Germany, um, and, and Hitler was so nationalistic and, and so proud of a man, he needed somebody to blame. He needed somebody that he could step upon. He needed money for his treasury to be able to do the things that he was thinking and planning. And so he began this lie that was so far-fetched. It was so big, and that was his premise, that if you tell a lie, a big enough lie, and you mean it, and you tell it frequently enough, then not only will you believe it, and stand behind it, but that others will believe it as well. You go back uh, years and centuries before, and you've got an emperor named Nero, and he needed somebody to blame because of the fire that had destroyed Rome. 
And the greatest scapegoat, the ones that were already very hated and disliked, were Christians, the new believers. And so what does he do? He tells this gigantic lie. Most people, most early historians believe that Nero was the one who started the fire. Uh, that consumed so much of the city. But the Jews and the Jewish Christians especially, the Christians who came out of the movement of following Jesus, they were all in his sights and his targets, and Christians especially. Um, We know some of the horrid stories that miles of the road leading into Rome, uh, gardens in Nero's court, they used the bodies and the heads, the beheaded, decapitated heads of Christians as lanterns. They would fill those with oil and set them on fire. And uh, the the games that happened in the Colosseum and, and so much. But he told a lie big enough and absurd enough that people clung to it. And their leaders were telling them this, so people mindlessly followed and the persecution began. You go back to the Garden of Eden and you think about the biggest lie of all. Satan was so crafty, so tricky, that serpent in the garden told Eve some of the words of God. But he also deceived her and tricked her and she bought the lie. And because of that, humanity fell. And so we see this all throughout history. It's still going on today. It will go on further until the end of humanity, until we're actually with the Lord. But we know this, that in in special stories in the Bible, there are some implications that we can see, and I think we can glean from them and we can learn from them. And I think 1 Kings 21 may be one of those that you can, uh, like me, just put your mind around and grasp. Now, it came about after these things... Uh, there was a war that had just happened, that Naboth, the Jezreelite, a good man, he had a vineyard which was in Jezreel beside the palace of Ahab, the king of Samaria. Now, he, he had a nice piece of land, a very fertile piece of land, a very prime piece of property. Um, and Ahab, the king, came to Naboth and he said, give me your vineyard that I may have it for a vegetable garden because it is, because it is close beside my house. And I'll give you a better vineyard than it in its place. And if you like, I'll give you the price of it in money. But Naboth said to Ahab, the Lord forbid me that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. This was family land, man. You know, um, there are things that you can't put a price tag on sometimes and things that you, you, you just want to keep because it was passed down from his daddy and his daddy's daddy and it had been in the family for a long, long time. And Naboth was, Naboth was particular to this piece of land. It was not only a very beautiful and productive piece of land, but it had sentimental value for him as well. And he simply said, no, I don't want to sell it. So Ahab came into his house sullen and vexed because of this word which Nahamoth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. For he said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And uh, uh, Ahab laid down on his bed and turned away his face and ate no food. You know what that's called? A tantrum, a fit like a baby has, a little bitty infant. This is the king of the land. And he goes on his bed and he cries because he can't get the land. And But then old Jezebel, she steps in and she says, How is it that your spirit is so sullen, so vexed that you cannot eat food? And he said to her, Because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite, and I think of this in a whiny voice when I read it, Because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite and said to him, Give me your vineyard for money or else, if it pleases you, I will give you a vineyard in its place. But he said, I'll not give you my vineyard. And Jezebel said to him, Do you now reign over Israel? Don't you have any big boy pants? I don't know if that's in your 
in y'all's translation. Arise, eat bread, and let your hearts be joyful. I'll get you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. And so I want to tell you the rest of the story rather than read it. So um, Jezebel and Ahab sat down. They put their devious little heads together, and they started writing letters to some people that they knew were a little crooked and underhanded and under-the-table people, people that they had influence and sway over. And they, they called to the whole land and sent couriers out and said, Hey, we're going to have a fast. We're calling a fast. And I'm going to be honest with you, until this last week when I was reading this, I think my entire life I thought they were calling a feast. But those couldn't be more opposite than one another. They were calling a fast. And they had invited Naboth to come and to be the the chair of it, the head of it, the one who would stand up in the middle of everybody, uh, basically in a place of honor, which is strange. But here's the reason why they called a fast. Because a fast means that there's something wrong that there's something unresolved, unrealized, that God's not showing favor to the land for some reason, and that they all need to get together and tear their garments and, and put dirt on their heads and whatever they did. they wearing camel skin coats. Um, it's like going to the barber shop, you know, and you get that hair all down in the back of your shirt and everything. Women, y'all don't y'all probably know what that is, but uh, they, they, they were down... They were down there at the palace, and this fast was called, and all these people were before them. And here's Naboth, this innocent man, just standing there. And he stands up, and right at the right moment, a man on either side of Naboth stands up and says, We heard Naboth curse God and our king. And both of them stood up as witnesses and said, This is true. And they took Naboth out, and they stoned him to death, and they took his land. Now, that is bearing false witness. When a witness and a witness stand up and they just blatantly outright tell a lie, accuse somebody, bring falsehood and charges that have no merit, but because in the ancient world, witnesses were everything, this stuff stuck. It stood. These are good guys supposedly that have some kind of uh, merit in society, and they stand up, both of them, and they say the same thing about Naboth. What a lie. But since there were two of them, and since their stories aligned, Naboth was put to death. Ahab and Jezebel got what they wanted, but the Lord also had plans, and Ahab and Jezebel would get what they deserved in the end. And here's the reason why. They had extremely violated God's commandments, and the result for violators of God's will is death. And so it is never a good thing to stand, especially bold-faced, in, in the sight of the living God and to lie. It's dangerous. And a lot of times we think, well, there's white lies and there's big lies, and they're all lies, and they're all equally punishable, and they can do so much damage, even the ones that we think are small. Even the ones like when you're in middle school and, and kids tell a lie about you. Or they, they say something about you that sticks, and the rest of your days in school, you're always trying to overcome that stigma that's been attached to you. Or maybe at work, somebody has gossiped about you and told something that's not true, and everybody believes it, and you can't ever seem to get out from underneath that cloud of judgment that follows you around. It's dangerous to tell a lie. And so, while we think of this ninth commandment as do not lie, and that really is the gist of it, it's actually better put in the context of a witness in a courtroom. Now, witnesses, again, were everything in the ancient world. They didn't have CSI. They sure didn't have old Matlock. 
They, they didn't have video surveillance that could prove something, no DNA testing. They didn't have that stuff like we do today. And so it was supposed to be that people who were citizens, especially Jews, were honest because they were God's children. They were God-fearers. And so if they stood up and one said it, everybody took notice. If two said it, it was law. It was, it was equitable as they, uh, that's probably not a word, but, you know, uh, it, it, it was... It was real. Deuteronomy 17.6, and I think I have these couple of verses on the screen. On the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses, the one who is to die shall be put to death. Man, that's, that's really, uh, can you think about that in the social media world today? You think you could get two likes when somebody said, Teresa uh, killed a cat last night, and two people were like, yeah, I know you wouldn't kill a cat, all right? Um, a person shall not be put to death on the evidence of just one witness. First Timothy, we go from an Old Testament to a New Testament example. Don't, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of, what, two or three witnesses, okay? So you've got to have two, threes even preferable. And the reason that bearing faithful witness, true witness, was so important is that somebody's life could be at stake. Not just lives, but also character, integrity, livelihood, if somebody else was deceitful. One of the most heinous things that you could do was to bear false witness about another person who was actually innocent. Lies harm, and lies can even kill. And so we're careful with that. Guys, we are called by the name of Jesus Christ, who never sinned and certainly never lied. He never bore false witness, but he calls us to be as he is. And if we're lying and it's even become second nature to us in our lives, man, we should still be being convicted of that very thing. The commandment deals with falsehoods in general because God cares so deeply about justice and verbal justice is of the utmost importance. You think about how powerful words are for a second. You could go to James and see what, with what a little spark starts a forest fire. Or talk about the bit in a horse's mouth or the udder of a ship and how it can steer great ships. And, and you can even think about how important words are because God spoke creation into existence. Words are very important for you to be called by Christ, and yet your words are untrue. Your words are always belittling and deriding and putting people down. Do you think people are going to look favorably upon a God whom you say you are saved by if they see only that as your testimony and witness? And the answer is no. Lies hurt people so deeply. And this commandment was designed by God to protect people. It was designed to protect marriages, to protect property and life and reputation and honor. It's so easy to treat our words casually and carelessly. We make vows sometimes without any real thought to them. How often do we make promises without any real attempt to hold true to them or keep them? Our word should be our bond. In other words, you're only as good as your word. And it should be our ideal to never give false witness about anyone, even if you don't like them. Man, uh, didn't your mama ever teach you? You know what I'm going to say? If you don't have something nice to say about someone, don't say anything at all. But man, we, we, uh, we don't hold true to that one very well. Mama wasn't wrong. We should not twist and pervert people's words 
Gossip is not godly. Slander in no way can be sanctifying. Condemning people without knowing the truth, without being present, without hearing both sides is pretty dangerous. We're to avoid lying and deceiving others because that's the work of Satan. And it will bring God's anger and wrath. Be careful with your words. Scripture tells us to love the truth, to speak it honestly and openly, and to acknowledge it before all men so that our Maker, our Father in heaven, may be glorified. Do whatever you can to guard and promote your brother, your sister, and your neighbor's good name. Now listen, gossip always gets a bad rap because normally anything that's gossip is typically bad. Did you see what Miss TJ had in her yard last week? I mean, that's a good one to start with right there. What was it? She had a beer box in her yard. <laughs> TJ. Listen, that's a true story. One time I was moving. I was moving from a house in Alma to a duplex in Alma. Guess what? Some folks who had a gas station said, we have a bunch of boxes you can use. And they were beer boxes. And guess what I did? Innocently enough, I moved my stuff in them and set them out by the curb. Aaron Matthews is a drunk, let me tell you. Be careful, okay? I told him I was drunk on the spirit, but that was all, all right? Gossip can actually be good news, too. The things you say should promote other people. They should encourage, and that word edify, which means to build up others, to celebrate other people. How awesome would it be? I mean, not just at funerals that we're other people's cheerleaders, that we say the nice things about them, that we, we celebrate their lives and honor them. What about during regular day-to-day -day life? What if we were to build others up? My goodness, guys, we have enough spiritual enemies in dark places doing enough to condemn us, to assault us, to break us down, to crush us. We don't need to pile on, especially as human beings, as Christians. They're tearing us down. They're accusing us. They're seeking to destroy us. That's what Satan has dispatched his demons to do. But we don't need to be a part of that. We should be for each other. We should be one another's cheerleaders, encouraging, singing the praises of others, and being happy for them. That's a hard concept sometimes when our lives are rough or when our lives are down or when we're down at the bottom of the valley to be happy for someone else. But that's something that the Holy Spirit can produce in your life. Unfortunately, people love secrets, especially the dark ones, the bad ones, the juicy ones. Uh, the quickest way to make a so-called friend is to find someone's mutual enemy. But talking about people usually takes the form of harming them and tearing them down and reducing them, and that's evil. That's not supposed to come from the lips of those who are called by Christ's holy name. It's the antithesis of loving your neighbor, and it's a disgrace to God. When you talk negatively, when you gossip about someone, when you put them down, when you attack their character, you are possibly doing irreparable damage to their name. But whose name are they also called by? Jesus. So whose name are you hurting as well? Be very careful. It's not only wrong to listen to gossip, or to gossip, but it's also wrong to listen to gossip as well. If someone's going to gossip about you, I can promise you this. You can take it to the bank. If they're going to gossip to you, if they're going to talk about somebody else to you, they're going to turn around and talk about you as well. They'll gossip about you just as quick. So be real careful. Gossips are untrustworthy. 
Proverbs 18.8 says, The words of a gossip, the Hebrew word there is whisperer, are like choice morsels. And the Hebrew word there is dainties, like good, good little things to eat, something that you crave. They go down to the inmost being, to the very heart of a man. People crave bad news because it makes us feel a little bit better about ourselves than somebody else. And that's dangerous. It's hard for us. I know it is. Sometimes you have to stop and say to the gossip, hey, I'm not really sure that we should be having this conversation. You might say, I don't want to be critical, but I'm just not really sure about this. Let's stop. That takes a lot of courage and boldness. Sometimes you have to stop them. And yet sometimes our silence, even if we're just listening and we don't speak up for our brother or sister or the person that we know, and we just allow it to be said, and we allow it to be spouted and shared, and we don't say anything about it can make us just as guilty. The courageous thing, the literally God-honoring thing would be to say, you know what, I don't know if we know all the facts, we probably need to stop right there. But how often do we stand up and say that? It's tough, man, and it's rare. I love what Pastor T.D. Jakes said. I I, I don't agree with a lot of Pastor T.D. Jakes' theology. Uh, I probably wouldn't tell him to his face if he was standing here because he'd probably crush me. But T.D. Jakes said something that I love. And I, I I have said this many times. I need friends who are my friends when I'm not in the room. Don't you need friends who are your true friends when you're not around? Don't you want somebody that if they say they love you and they say they trust you and they hug your neck, that they're not a Judas that's going to go sell you out the moment it's beneficial to them? And shouldn't we be that real friend? While gossip is passing along things that you may not know to be true or passing along things that are true but they're absolutely unnecessary. Why do you need to share that? Why does that person need to know that about them? There's a thing that goes further than that and it's called slander. Gossip is one step, slander is the next. Slander is deliberately passing along what's false. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 15. He considered slander a serious sin. He said, for out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, there you are, and slander. These are what defile a person. And he said, they're in you. They need to be out of you. And and, and in order for something that's in you, the internal man, to be changed, it takes repentance and salvation from the Lord. There is no 13-step book at Books A Million that you're going to read and you're going to be like, okay, I'm going to become a better person and stop doing these things. It's not going to last. It's going to take real repentance and conviction, a conviction from the Lord, repentance, and uh, bringing it before the Lord himself because he's the one that can change you. Slander always assumes the worst about people. It doesn't give anyone the benefit of the doubt. It's critical. It comes from a critical spirit, and it has a malicious intent. You mean to do them harm. You're not not accidentally cutting into them. You're doing it on purpose. And so it's time for us to stop the assumptions, to stop the speculation, and to stop saying it to people. If you want to know something, I'm going to tell you, man, we could have had a bunch, bunch of, of... 
people that could still be possibly at this church from a couple of years ago, if somebody has said, hey, Aaron, what happened? Or if they come to you and they said, hey, what happened? And they, if there was something in between me and Monica, I, and, and I, I heard, oh, did you hear what Monica said about you? And I was like, who the heck did she tell that to? Well, she told it to Jimmy, and Jimmy told it to Donnie, and Donnie told it to Ralph, and, and I heard it from Ralph. You know what I'm going to do? Because I respect her. Hey, did I do something wrong? What, what, what happened? I heard something bad, and I just want to clarify it. You know that's the godly thing to do? And it takes a little bit of courage, a little bit of gumption to be able to do that. Because the easier thing to do is to just go along with it and say, well, I don't know about old Jimmy, but Donnie and Ralph said it. Probably true. We need to go to the person and not believe all of the lies. Ask people to help you understand. Fix what's right. You know, by going to a brother or sister in sin and confronting them with it, you can save their soul from a multitude of problems, Scripture says. Proverbs 18, 17 gives this idea. We always wonder, where does stuff like innocent until proven guilty? That's a biblical idea. It's Proverbs 18, verse 17 is one place that says it. A person is innocent until proven guilty. Now, we don't play that game much in our culture anymore. They're guilty until they're proven innocent is what we really believe because we don't want to give people the benefit of the doubt. But Proverbs 18, 17 says, The one who states his case first seems right. The one who testifies and tells it that it's believed until they're discredited or there's witnesses to say otherwise. It says, until the other comes along and examines him. And so what this really means is that we should want people to hear all the facts before someone is unjustly condemned. Wouldn't you want that for yourself? If somebody came to you and said, I know that it was Brian that set off the fire alarm in the youth building. Okay, let me go back to a biblical stance, Brian. <laughs> Innocent until proven guilty, right? I would want truth and facts before I would be condemned and judged. Now, if you had wet clothes and your footprints let out of the, the, the youth building, we might assume something, but we still need to hear your story. Guys, today, social media is one of the most dangerous things of all. Reputations are ruined by mobs. And guys, it's not for us to condemn people without a hearing, without just cause. Even if we become the unpopular ones on the post and say, you know what, we don't know everything. All the information hasn't been revealed yet. Somebody's going to say, shut up. You love them or blah, 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 and accuse you of something. But my goodness, guys, it's not up to us to... Uh, prove them innocent necessarily, but we should at least be standing up and saying, until all the facts are known, until the information's given, let's be careful. People don't like that. You know, bad news travels fast, and I love the quote by Winston Churchill, and I've got it up on the, the screen, but a lie gets halfway around the world before the truth has a chance to get its pants on. And isn't that true? You, you, something bad happens, and you're like, how in the world did they find out about that? Because it does quick. So it's really up to us to be guarding our hearts and our mouths. Don't let your tongue run wild. Be careful with assumptions. 
because you know what assuming can do. Proverbs 22.1, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. Favor is better than silver or gold. I really do believe that a lot of us, maybe most of us, could recover quicker. Maybe you lose your house, maybe you lose your car, maybe you lose your bank account. But those things you could recover from more quickly than if you lost your good name. If your name was slandered, if you were uh, uh, put in the conversation as being a pedophile or a child molester or a, a spouse abuser or a thief, it would be so much harder to overcome those things because your name is ruined than if you lost physical property. And so, since that good name can take so long to build, and it can be ruined by people who just have a devious heart and want to destroy you, we are to be honorable people who take great pains with others' names and honor. More than just about being a liar, if you think about what Jesus intends, what the Lord intends for this verse... It's to love your neighbor as yourself. Because if you really love somebody, you're not going to lie about them. Those are mutually exclusive. If I really love Steve Whitehead, I'm not going to go out and tell people all kinds of false things about him and things that he has done or bring up his past and accuse him. If I really love him. If someone was dragging your name through the mud, through the dirt, if they were destroying your reputation, man, you would want somebody to stand up and say, stop, you don't really know him. Wait a second. I know that person's character. They've never done anything out of, like this before. This is out of line, out of character for them. Maybe something's miscommunicated here. I guarantee, man, Philip Harrington, if, if somebody was out there saying that you were a no good liar, that you stole, that you had a history of, of thieving and stealing and stuff. I, I promise you, and, and you come into contact with that, and Gene Neal is out there in the world, and somebody brings that up to him, Gene would say, I don't think you know Philip Harrington very well. And then Gene would tell four jokes. And then he'd say, Philip Harrington's a lot of things, but he's not a thief. But he'd stand up and say, I know that man in God, and I know his heart, and I've seen him at the altar before the Lord, and I know that he's genuine. And there is some restoration of your name that's brought there, guys. We're not the ones that do the dragging. We're the ones that do the lifting up. And each one of us depends on each of the other as a family and a body of Christ to do that for one another. Now, if there's truth, if there's moral failure, if there's a falling down, you know, the Bible talks a lot about that. If your guilt outweighs you and you fall, then it's up to a brother or sister to help lift back up. It's up to the family of God to pray for restoration and for reconciliation and for healing. It's up to us to bring them back up and say, you failed. There are consequences that you may have to pay for what you did, but in our eyes, you're still our brother and sister, and in God's eyes, you're still his child, and there's still the hope of forgiveness so that you can stand back up one day and be restored. But that's really a lot up to us to take the initiative to do those things. You would want somebody to defend your reputation and honor. And that's what we should do. We know God doesn't lie. We know that the truth is God's nature. Romans 3, 4 says, Let God be true, 
even though every man were a liar. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth. I mean, that's the epitome of it. Everything that's true and good and pure and noble and righteous and holy, Jesus is. He says, I'm the life. But the nature of Satan, as we all know, is lies. He's the father of lies. He's the deceiver of the brethren. He's the accuser of our souls. And when you twist and when you distort and when you deceive, you're doing the work of Satan. Satan is a deceiver, and Christ is the defender. Satan is an accuser, but Jesus Christ is an atoner. You have somebody that lists all your faults before people, and you have somebody that forgives your faults before the Father in heaven, and we're to be like Christ. And when you speak the truth and you stand, uh, listen, when you speak the truth, what you're doing even if it's unpopular, even if people will laugh at you, mock you, or put you down for it. When you speak the truth, in whatever form it is, unvarnished truth, you stand as a shining light in the midst of a dark world. You stand as a witness for Jesus Christ. Christ was led to the cross because of false witnesses. Stephen, the first martyr of Christendom, was Stoned to death because of false witnesses. In Revelation 1.5, Jesus is called a faithful witness. The Spirit bears witness to Him. And it's that same Spirit of truth that Paul says in Romans 8.16 that bears witness to our very spirits that we are sons and daughters of God. We are sons, joint heirs with Jesus as faithful witnesses. That's how he perceives us. That's how God looks at us and says, through Christ's righteousness, I perceive my daughter Jennifer as a faithful witness. Through Christ's righteousness, I perceive my son Mickey as a faithful witness. As somebody whom I know that I can rely upon. Somebody that if he were asked, it would be said of them, here I am, Lord, send me to do what it is your will desires. That same Holy Spirit was not only promised, but delivered. And he brought with him God's power. And this is the ending of this, but it's important. The Spirit of God, which indwells every believer, has brought with him God's power on earth to go to even the ends of the earth or just across the room, maybe across the street to your neighbor, and to be a faithful witness of God. It's vital that we live as faithful witnesses until we're called home. Proverbs 6, last passage of Scripture, verses 16 through 19. Very, very, very powerful. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination or detestable to Him. So when you see that, immediately you think, okay, these are things that I shouldn't be doing, that I shouldn't partake in or have any part in. Number one, He says, a proud look or haughty eyes. Haughty eyes are the kind that kind of look, look at you and you come in and they look down upon you. They, they see you as less than or as nothing or insignificant or uneducated or not beautiful. They're the ones that make a judgment call immediately when they look at you. And they're proud of themselves. God hates that. Secondly, a lying tongue. This goes with the ninth commandment. Hands that shed innocent blood. Number four, a heart that devises wicked schemes. Man, the premeditation, 
the thoughts of how you're going to get back at someone, how you're going to carry out revenge, how you're going to destroy somebody's name or reputation, how you're going to do something that God considers wicked. Five, feet that are swift in running to evil. Number six, a false witness who breathes out lies. Again, number six goes back to the ninth commandment. And seven, one who stirs up discord among the brethren. That's a very serious one. And it happens a lot in churches where there's accusations made and somebody's name is put down, somebody's called something. But they can all be overcome. They can all be repented of. And God can still forgive every single one of them. Your words should be trustworthy at all times. If they're not, how will people ever believe you when, not if, when you tell them of Jesus Christ, when you share the good news of the gospel with them, when you try to convince them that heaven is real and that's a place where they can go? I'm going to ask you guys to pray with me. Because every one of us in here, we're all imperfect. And this message today, man, it is a heavy message. I know it is. And a lot of us have fallen really, gotten really comfortable. We've gotten into bed with lies about talking about people, about gossiping and slandering folks, about sharing an article where we put somebody down or um, getting off of Facebook and immediately picking up the phone and calling somebody in and saying something. Man, I, I, I tell you, it stems from a critical spirit, first of all. There's something in you that's not right with Jesus. Otherwise, you'd have some peace in your life, and you wouldn't feel the need to go outside of your life and find something that's wrong with somebody else. But I'll tell you this, too. Wherever the deficiencies are in our lives, the Lord is sufficient to meet those needs. Wherever we feel the need to put somebody else down to make ourselves better, God says, I'm your all in all. Your happiness and your peace, your joy and your sanctification, they aren't dependent upon that other person. They're dependent upon me. The minute you feel it's necessary to get involved in a gossiping conversation where somebody else's name is put down, don't you think that that person also has a Savior who died for them? Somebody that's standing in front of God that offered his life, his blood, and rose from the dead so that they too could be forgiven. Don't play the vindicator and the judge. Don't play God. Guys, it's our job with hearts of love, with minds like Christ, to go out as we're commissioned and to tell people about Jesus. We're not the judge and the jury for the sins they've committed. It's our job to baptize believers in the name of Jesus. It's our job to teach the truth of God's Word. It's not our job to take the place of Satan or of God. Satan the deceiver or God the great judge and forgiver. We're just here. We catch them. God cleans them. We're here to love, Jesus said, even our enemies. We're here to build up the church of Christ on earth. We're here to live as models and mirrors of our Savior so that other people may come to know Him. Listen, folks, if, if before the Lord this morning, oh God, we, we call upon you, if we've gotten really bad at telling lies, gossiping, slandering folks, 
participating in stuff we know we shouldn't where people's names and character are involved. We pray, Lord God, that you would forgive our hearts as we repent this morning, that you would take that heavy weight off of us, that you would move the stone away, Lord God, and that we'd walk out of here free people, confident in our Savior, confident in ourselves, knowing that no matter what anybody else has done, we don't have to talk about them. Lies shouldn't come from the lips of those who live in Jesus' name. Lies shouldn't come from the lips of those who will live eternally in your presence, Lord. And while we slip and while we fall and we know we'll become guilty again and again, what we ask this morning, God, is that you'd forgive us afresh this morning, fill us with your spirit, the power of the spirit, and let us go out and do your will. We ask this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said it this morning, amen.